0: So the title of today's message is Multiplication by Division. It's fitting for Back to School Sunday. I want us to go to Acts chapter 15. We've been in a series called Acts, the Gospel Goes Viral. And we've been talking about how how that happened and really how we can relive that today, how we can reenact that today. In the first part of the chapter, we read about the Jerusalem Council, which gathered to make an important decision that would help the gospel keep going viral to the Gentile world. Remember, we said a Gentile is someone who is non-Jewish. Raise your hand if you're a Gentile. Yes, many of us are. Some people in those days... And I will say this has implications for today as well. Some people in those days were practicing and preaching something called legalism. That's what we term it. They may not have defined it like that back then or used that term, but that is how we will define it today. And legalism really is this. It's excessive adherence to laws. Now you say, Pastor, wait a second. Aren't we supposed to obey laws? Yes. Amen? Yes. Amen. Okay. We are to obey laws. We're to obey God's law first. Secondarily, God has instituted and allowed for human governments to establish laws I can think just in this moment of places in scripture where we can hear the echo of the difference between that, where someone says, it's more important for me to obey God rather than man. When man's law superimposes itself over God's law, we have the right to disobey because we are obeying God first. So legalism was being practiced and it was being preached In the new church, how many of you have ever been to a church that was what you would call legalistic? Anybody? How many of you have ever known someone who was legalistic? Absolutely. So I'm talking to the right crowd today. But legalism, what it does is it isolates the law from the God who gave the law. So this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about conflict resolution. We're going to talk about legalism. We're going to talk about how the church grew as a result. It multiplied as a result of a diversion of vision throughout this whole chapter in Acts chapter 15. But I want to tell you the three types of legalism that I think are common throughout. Now, when we say legalism, it usually is just a religious-based term. This is not someone adhering to um, a human law and going over and above. It's more along the lines of religious practice. So the first type of legalism, if you're taking notes this morning, is obeying rules but lacking any personal relationship. It's obeying the rules without any personal relationship. So it's not so much about pleasing God as it is merely following The rules. Is there a blessing in obedience? Shout amen. (laughs) Yes, there is a blessing in obedience. But when we are so bound and wound up to obey the law, we forget the author of the law and the spirit from which it came. Then we are nothing more than robots. So we have to be careful. The second type of legalism you can find even today is when someone divorces the letter of the law, that would be the outward law or the law as it's written, from the spirit with which it was written. I don't get political on stage, but I believe you should vote. Amen? Hello? Amen? Louder? Amen. Today, there are actions and have been through generations To not listen to the spirit of the laws of our country, but to dismantle some of them because of the letter that's in the law. So I give you this example from scripture. This is the Pharisees arguing with Jesus because he healed someone on the Sabbath day. And they said, no, you shouldn't do that. God's word says, and if you're God's son, like you say you are, I mean, this is my paraphrase, but that's their attitude. Well, if you're God's son, why wouldn't you obey his law? He said you shouldn't do any work on on the Sabbath, and here you are healing someone. Isn't that work? They have totally divorced the letter of the law from the spirit of the law. Isn't the healing of a soul, a spirit, or a body more important than following some written rule? Hello? Yes, it is. And so this was legalism in those days. And guess what, church? It still happens today. Not in this church. I'm preaching for those that might listen in the World Wide Web. Okay, that sounded like a real old man. But number three, (laughs) number three, this is another type of legalism. No offense to the old man, praise God. One day I'll be there, I'm getting there fast. The third type of legalism is this, adding our own rules to God's laws. I can near bet on it, though I'm not a betting man. We're talking about rules in the Bible. Okay, some somebody got it. Okay, I can near bet on it that everyone who raised their hand that said I've been in a legalistic church before, I've met a legalistic person before, this is the category of people you're describing in your mind. They are those who add their own rules to God's laws. But we have to remember that our personal preferences are not divinely inspired Just keep this message for a friend, okay? (laughs) Uh, I need this too. Your personal preferences are not divinely inspired. One of the things I love about Celebrate Church is when we arrived, there were no sacred cows. And to this day, we are intentional in trying to make sure there remain no sacred cows, Sacred cows come from personal preferences. It's, I want it this way, and if it's not my way, then I'm taking myself and going somewhere else. So adding our own rules to God's law. We cannot superimpose our human desire and tradition on top of Scripture. In fact, Jesus criticizes the Pharisees on and on and on throughout his interactions with them in saying, you are here and you're putting man-made traditions on people who really want to follow God. Ashamedly, the church at large has failed miserably in this at times. Adding our own rules to God's laws. Hashtag, don't be that guy. (laughs) Don't be that woman. Don't be that man. And don't hang out with those people. You can't change them. Only God can. Did you hear me? You can't change them. Some of you might be nodding in approval because you know you've been there. But you can't change them. Only God can. Supernatural. By his supernatural will, he can change them. So I say this, where God has given liberty, we should never enslave people to man-made traditions and to rules. The gospel calls people to repentance that is turning from their sin. The gospel calls people to holiness and to godliness. And the word of God itself says that that message alone offends the world. So why would we add our own stuff to it to add to the offense? Let God be God, amen? And let his word stand alone. We're on dangerous ground if we add unnecessarily to that offense by distorting the nature of what Christianity is really all about. When we combine it with legalism, we muddy the waters. You say, well, pastor, you're preaching, but you haven't got to a verse yet. I'm getting there. So there's a major challenge in the early church with Christianity being born out of Judaism. So you need to understand we are now adopted into a Jewish originated faith. The God of the Jews is the God of the world. He is the God we serve. But essentially during those days, people were saying, if you want to serve our Messiah, I'm a Jew. I'm telling you, if you want to serve my Messiah, you have to become like me first. I've told the story of the greeter in a previous church that criticized a man, a young man who was coming through the doors with long hair down past his waistline, shorts and flip flops on and looked like he had just rolled out of bed or rolled off the beach off a surfboard. But he was hungry for God. And he was criticized for the way he looked because he looked different than what she expected or the one verse in the Bible that she read talking about the length of someone's hair. That is not how we are to behave. So there's a major challenge in this early church, though, because essentially what they're saying is you've got to be like us, look like us, do like us in order to earn the salvation that God has promised to all. Those who are adults in the room, I want you to understand the verses that we read today will be a little bit guarded. You can reread the passage later. But I'll suffice it to say that there was a physical sign of the covenant that's mentioned in Acts chapter 15. It was given to mark the Hebrew people when they first became God's people. So now 2,000 years after that. There are some who are being legalistic and saying that you must do this in order to be saved. Jump with me to verse 6 of Acts chapter 15. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. So there's a council coming together. Verse 7, it says, And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and he said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Do you remember? We talked about that in the early days of this series about how Peter ministered to those who were Gentiles. Verse 8, it says, And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made Look at those words, so important. No distinction between us and them. Having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Verse 11 says, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. So I give it to you in this perspective. It's as if God opened up the plan for all to come. It's, it's as if scripture is absolutely true that John 3 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that no one should perish, but that all would come to faith in him. And so now these people have said, whoa, 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 whoa. God's opened the door way too wide. (laughs) Can't let all these people in. Let's make them look like us, be like us, do like us. James was at this same council meeting. The Apostle James, and he says this in verse 19, jump there with me. Verse 19 and 20, it says, Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but we should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. So James is boiling it down to what he sees as the essentials to be the most important. Here's the, here's the key. Don't serve any other God. They need to know that. If they're going to receive our Messiah and the salvation he offers, then they need to understand you can't serve him and others. You've got to serve only him. The second thing that is so important and it's been eroded in today's day and age more so than ever before. Don't break God's law regarding marriage, regarding husbands and wives. And then the interesting thing that he throws in at the end has to do somewhat with behavior of the pagan world around them and stay away from what has been strangled. He's not talking about human life. He's talking about the things you eat and from blood. There were some laws in Leviticus and throughout the Old Testament that helped set the people apart. And so James is boiling it down to what he thinks is the most important. He says, don't serve any other God. Honor the marriage that, we're, that we understand God divinely inspired man and woman. And he says, oh, and don't, don't do this stuff either because the world does this stuff. So the council agrees and they send Paul and Barnabas and others back to Antioch with a letter. A letter from the council in Jerusalem that really shows their solidarity, their unity together. Here's what it essentially communicated. You do not have to do anything else before salvation to become saved except believe In Jesus and follow him. This is what the crux of the matter is. This is what the cornerstone of this whole idea is. In the council's letter, we read in verse 28 and 29, if you want to go there, it's a quote from the letter that they took with them to give to the church there in Antioch. And it says this For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these simple requirements. Verse 29, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood, from what has been strangled, from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Goodbye. Farewell. So verse 30 says this, when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And if you're tracking with me this morning, because again, we're talking a little bit in code, I'm going to tell you, I believe all the men in the church at Antioch said amen when they read this letter. So it says in verse 32, "...and Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words." So they discipled them further. They preached to them. They opened up the scripture to help them see. Verse 33, And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas, in verse 35, I don't know how I got there. Yeah. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others. So Paul and Barnabas decide that they're going to remain and make sure that everyone truly understands this. Because if there are those who are preaching legalism in the body of Christ and they want it a certain way, I'm going to tell you I've met them (laughs) and they do not go quietly. Besides a supernatural work of God by the Holy Spirit on them, they will continue, even if they get ran off, they'll continue that same pattern in a new place and with new brothers and sisters. So Paul and Barnabas were like security guards staying there to help encourage them in their faith and make sure that there's no further threat that would taint the purity of the gospel message. They wanted the word of God to be going out to the Gentiles and they couldn't be seen as having a civil war inside of those new believers, some saying this and some saying this. And so they said, listen, we're just going to hunker down in place for a little while and we're going to encourage the church. So that was all important context for the key passage that I want us to look at today. The last few verses of the chapter, of chapter 15, have been often misunderstood, I believe, and, I would say this, many times just purely overlooked. So as we work through a book of the Bible like we're doing in Acts, I want us to take time for moments like this and park on this so that we really truly understand it. So if you'll go with me to verse 36, we'll read here something else that happens. So essentially, after all this stuff happens with the council and with Paul and Barnabas staying in place, now there arises between Paul and Barnabas a strong disagreement, a difference of opinion, and there is a division in the church. Verse 36, it says this, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. So essentially, if you've ever had a, how many of you ever had a Bible that had the maps in the back? All right, good. So you know, because I would look at those maps and imagine, you know, Paul on a boat and going from place to place or all the different things. I remember it very clearly. I remember very clearly having different pages for Paul's missionary journeys, Now, Paul, right now, this is considered his second missionary journey that he wants to go on. But essentially what it is, is it's revisiting the churches that had already been planted. Because, listen up, he knows the devil is real. And the people who preach legalism in Antioch could have very well infiltrated any of the ranks in other places. And he's got a mission. He wants to go and strengthen those churches. So it says in verse 37... Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John, also called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had, it says withdrawn in the English Standard Version. The truer like definition is the word abandon. That's how we could understand it today. Paul thought best not to take with them one who had abandoned them in this city, Pamphylia, and had not gone with them to the work. It says in verse 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches. So this sharp disagreement happens between two leaders in the church at that point. So much so that they decided to part ways. I wanna ask you this question today. How many of you have ever had a sharp disagreement with someone? Can I see your hand? How many of you, it was a long time ago, (laughs) <laughs> okay, some of us. How many of you, is it something recent you can think of? I think, and I know if you know your pastor, you'll find this not surprising, but I think that disagreement is a lost art. I really do. I think disagreement is a lost art. It's a, it's a lost action That you're no longer allowed to do in this world. You know what I'm talking about. If you don't 100% agree with me, then we're not friends anymore. That kind of thing. If you don't 100% agree with my perspective, then I'm not hanging out with you. Now, some of us may seek to avoid conflict at all costs. Some of us may go looking for a fight like that old song, spoiling for a fight at every turn. Stop raising your hand, Mark, um, <laughs> at every turn. Some of us may be out for that kind of enjoyment and excitement and adventure and others may end up, and I've met people like this, s- sorry to say, but they've ended up becoming kind of like the carpet that people step all over because they're afraid to ever really talk. Through their feelings. Neither of those opposites are exactly what God wants. Hello? Just think about that for a second. And if neither of those opposites really are healthy, then disagreement really is a lost art. I really believe that you can agree to disagree on things and still be friends. You absolutely can. In today's culture, like I said, we're made to feel, you know, if we don't 100% agree with somebody, uh, that we can't spend time with them or be friends with them or associate with them. But that's simply not true. If it were true, we'd all be robots and the world would be very lonely. I'm friends with people on both sides of the spectrum on all areas of life. Think about whatever you want to in this moment, but stuff that maybe is obscure in scripture where some say, yeah, absolutely, and others say, no, never. I'm friends with both of those types of people, and we're still friends. We can do that. I'll give you an example. I'm friends with people who don't discipline their kids like I discipline mine, but we can still be friends, right? We just don't let our kids hang out that much. Um, but, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But the idea is that you can agree to disagree. So what, what the council was trying to do, and then what we further see ends up taking place between Paul and Barnabas, they basically had a disagreement where they strongly felt in opposite directions. And you know what they didn't do? They didn't get into a shouting match. They didn't take it personal. They didn't gossip about the fact you wouldn't believe what Paul says stupid. He thinks that they didn't do that either. They just agreed to part ways. I'm sorry. I'm getting a little animated. They kept it on a personal level, and they didn't make it a wrong versus right issue. It's a Mark versus Andrew issue because they have different perspectives. It's an Amy versus Christine issue because they have different perspectives. It's not a wrong versus right. They can both be right but still get a different result. They can both be wrong. And yes, I am, I am a firm believer. If there is sin present, confront sin in the body of Christ. That's your job and mine, not just mine. Can I get an amen? It is your job as a believer, my job as a believer to do that. But really, most things are not just a, this way or no way. It's a, there's a variety of opinions. When it comes to these things. And honestly looking at this scripture verse. And this passage. I can understand Paul's perspective. Can't you? Paul had been abandoned. By this young man. John Mark. And essentially. I, I could imagine that it stung. And Paul said. If he left once he might leave again. And we got a lot to do. I, I don't want to take somebody like. Who's uncertain. Who's not as committed. Who's going to just up and leave me. So Paul was very concerned about that. On the other hand, I can see where Barnabas is coming from. Barnabas, the actual name, his, his real or given name was Joseph, but they called him Barnabas. And Barnabas, that name means son of encouragement. So I can, I can almost hear Barnabas thinking, but John Mark needs me just like you needed me, Paul. Because Barnabas was Paul's mentor in ministry. In the early days of Paul's faith, as it grew, Barnabas was the one who went and sought him out and found him and led him and mentored him. So I can hear Barnabas thinking, you know, what growth is John Mark going to have if he, if somebody doesn't give him another chance? Here's the point neither of them were wrong necessarily. They just disagreed. And then what I love about this is they worked out a solution. The solution was separation and that's okay. Sometimes can I get an amen? The solution sometimes is separation, but they worked out a solution. God's math is not like our math there then became a multiplication of effort in two different areas completely by two now different teams because they had decided to part ways. When Barnabas left and he took John Mark to Cyprus, they had, by all accounts in scripture, a fruitful ministry there. And when Paul takes Silas... I love some of the stories that we've heard and remember from the New Testament about Paul and Silas worshiping the Lord and God setting them free and doing all kinds of awesome, amazing acts through them and using them to reach the churches. They went and revisited the churches that had been planted and strengthened them and saw them grow in two geographical different directions. Amy, for some reason this morning, the song the song set seems like it's all about heaven. And I thought, these are songs I want played at my funeral. This is awesome. I want people to be looking forward to heaven and to that. But I thought to myself, hold up a second. Paul and Barnabas are there together today. I mean, if we're to believe the the history and the record of scripture, I would assume so that they're celebrating up there and waiting to meet us and we're waiting to meet them. They both ended up in the same place. So the members of the one churches, the one group of churches was strengthened and a whole nother place was reached as a result of this division. I want you to remember this about division, even though we're talking about math and it's back to school Sunday. Division, if you take that word and just look at it plainly, is division. It's no longer single vision, but it's splitting apart or going in different directions. There have been divisions in the church that could have been avoided if people wouldn't act like babies. I'm preaching to somebody out there. (laughs) Right? You've probably been in a church like that where people acted like straight up infants and they wanted it their way or no way and then there came division. I've met some of those people. I've been in some of those places. But division is not something that God wants to authorize all the time. I want you to hear me very clearly. God's goal has been, and we see it in our own history, to reconcile he wants to get us back to him. He wants people to be able to live and worship and grow together. So I guess the point of what I, I want to communicate before I go into these last few statements is this. Don't ever be the author of division. And when there is disagreement, I am telling you by the spirit of God, you had better know for certain that you're on the right side. The only way to do that is to be a student of God's word, to listen to wise counsel from those who are spiritually mature. But this is so important for us as believers. You say, Pastor, you know, this isn't really all about the gospel going viral. It is because of this good division that took place. They were able to let it go even further. And sometimes separation is the solution. And that's okay too. But the majority of time, God wants us to grow where we've been planted. Even though that's not the fun solution. Here are a few points of application and the worship team, if you'll come and join me for the finish of the service, I just want to give you these things as application from Paul and Barnabas. The first thing is this Christians can disagree and still be Christians. This is really important. Truth It's very simple, but it's the application from God's word in this way. The second thing to remember is this, disagreement is not a sin. In itself, it's not a sin. Just because I disagree with you doesn't mean that you're on the devil's side and I'm on God's side. Disagreement is not a sin. In fact, I have seen some amazing things happen in situations where people butted heads or disagreed so, so strongly And then the Lord worked something out as a solution and they became stronger than ever before because they were flexible and pliable in the hands of God. The third thing is disagreements can be beneficial through it. We learn quite a bit. We can learn about the character of others. We can, if we're looking and paying attention, we can probably learn about the character of God and what he does and how he acts with us. But disagreements can be beneficial like Paul and Barnabas splitting and going different directions. Two more things. Number four is we must follow biblical principles regarding disagreement. I don't have time to dive dive deep into Matthew chapter 18. But I am going to tell you It is a great place to study. Jesus essentially communicates to his disciples and to those listening how they're supposed to handle conflict. It does talk about if my brother sins against me, what I should do. Should I go and run and tell all my other friends first? No. So I should be following biblical principles regarding disagreement. So when you get time this week, read through Matthew chapter 18. You might see something there you've never seen before. And the fifth thing is this champion unity over uniformity. This is what the council did. They weren't seeking to make everybody a robot that did all the same things in all the same ways. What they were saying was, let's have the cornerstone or the foundation be right. Jesus is the savior of the world and if you believe in him and follow him, you've got it. Let's not focus on the minor things, but let's focus on the big things. Reconciliation is the ultimate goal. But when we reconcile, it's not all about I got victory and you're defeated or you, you got victory and I'm defeated. Because they could have they could have worked through it for a much longer period of time. And they could have stopped the activity of going out with the gospel by simply saying, well, explain to me fully your side of things. And let's hang out here for a couple months until you learn my my perspective and I learn your perspective. All those things. But they didn't they championed unity over uniformity even if it represented division reconciliation is really important and when that happens it means that we've walked in the grace of God towards others I want you to hear me this morning reconciliation is possible in your human relationships it truly is I went to college in Pensacola and um went to Bible school there and learned half of what I needed for ministry in Bible college. Well, yeah. Uh, that's just how it goes. Sometimes they're like, why didn't they teach us this in school? But I learned quite a lot in my last semester. If you do any story, if you do any uh, history search or anything like that, the school was part of the Brownsville revival and in my last semester as a student there, I was on Christmas break coming back to come to my last semester and I got an unnerving email that said essentially there was a division between the leadership and people were saying, if you're for us, come with us and we're leaving. If you're not, you can stay and it's all gonna be you know bad for you, but you should come with us. I remember the emotional strife and grief that I went through enduring a giant division like that. But I also remember the goodness of God. I could almost feel it in the air in the room years later when those leaders came together again and repented for hurting one another and did so in a public way. I can, I can remember that feeling like it was almost breathable in the air you could sense the goodness of God, the smile of God on that place when that happened. So I truly do believe in reconciliation. Maybe you should be the one to go and reconcile to the other. Maybe it's something where you just need to forgive another that you've disagreed with. But I really want us to think through Paul and Barnabas and realize that multiplication can happen even in the midst of disagreements. We can still accomplish God's work that way. Can you stand with me today? I'm not sure which arrow that I shot this morning hit your heart. It might not have anything to do with disagreement and unity. It might have more to do with legalism. I can tell you this, I've had to repeatedly forgive some people in my life who were legalistic, who tried to hold me to their standard rather than God's standard. And I've had to say, God, I forgive them. Maybe that's you today. I don't know. But in this last song, I want you to commit yourself to be the person who is neither legalistic nor runs in the face of any conflict, but handles it God's way. And then I'll come up and close in just a moment. Heavenly Father, I pray right now as this song gets played and we worship in this last moment, Lord, that you would reach down deep into the hearts of the men and women and the children here. Lord, that we would truly stand firm on your word and nothing else. And that we would honor you and you alone, not seeking our personal preference, but seeking your will to be done. In Jesus' name.